so we have a project. We have a project. We call it OM Champion Project. Hello everyone and welcome to yet another episode of the Marseille View and today we're going to debrief the Amiens against Marseille game which ended as a very very disappointing 3-1 for the home team and Marseille suffering their second loss of the season. Um, Marseille I believe is pointing at the bottom of the of the mid table um, and is facing the international break after which they'll be playing some very very difficult games uh, including the which the um, including the examples of PSG, Lyon, Monaco, Lille and Strasbourg which is also a, a fixture not to not to put away that easily. So we're going to talk about a lot of things in this game. We're going to talk about the game itself and the reasons why it all went so wrong for Marseille. Some players that did better than expected and obviously as usual for Marseille we should basically put a whole new category of on this play on this podcast and I will be talking about some refereeing decisions which I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast and I've watched the game you're probably going to agree with. Um, but to do all this um, there's going to be three people today including myself so the first person to join me is stefan hey steph you all right yeah how you how did you find uh how did you find friday um pretty poor game to be honest yeah pretty shit yeah. disappointing difficult to wake up on saturday morning after after those kind of games yeah i was in a bit of a bad mood after the game it, it was just i think i'd been out for dinner and then came back kind of looking forward to watching it and oh, really? Yes, kind of game should be winning, you know. So yeah, pretty disappointed. Yeah. And um, the second speaker for today is Ben. How you doing, mate? Uh, yeah, same same as both of you. And, and you know what you've just described, whether it's the run of games or the refereeing decisions, it's, it's the stuff of fucking nightmares. To be honest, it's uh, I'm not very optimistic, but we'll see. We'll we'll talk about that. Yeah, so as we said, so we're going to debrief the game, but just to give you a preview, so Marseille are now on their fourth winless game against pretty poor sides. Um, we drew against Dijon, we lost against Amiens, and some previous draws, including the likes of uh, Rennes and Montpellier, which obviously Marseille could have won um, pretty easily. Um, and seeing the run of games that Ben is mentioning, um, not a lot of optimism uh, on the Marseille side. We're probably going to be looking to drop behind um, the tenth place, and maybe going to, you know, end of October, start of November, start asking ourselves questions as to, you know, what are the hopes for this season. But let's um, go straight into the game. Um, I'd like to first talk about the refereeing because I think it's going to be a recurrent theme of of this podcast. So. I don't want to excuse, and I don't want to excuse the poor performances of our players. So I think we should just set aside ten minutes or so talking about the referee, and then then we can delve into the players. I don't want to just talk about players and then just say yes for the referee. So let's talk about the referee. 
So in terms of um, decisions that were quite controversial, we all have in our mind the penalty for Duyatetsa and um, the non-call against German five minutes before. We also have um, the multitude of yellow cards that were just being thrown our way. Um, we have the handball from an Amiens player in their box before their third goal. And we've got uh, Alexis Blain who tackled Lihadji with two feet and he was already on a yellow card and that was not even a foul. So, Ben, mm. I always kind of, when I list these things, I always ask myself if I'm a bit paranoid about these things. Out of all these, <laughs> do, do we have a leg to stand on? It's just getting beyond the joke, man. I mean, I, I, at the risk of this podcast and the format heading in style of, of a Rudy Gassar press conference where he <clears> does his moan about fucking refs, we are getting ranked. We are getting. We are the the, the main team in Europe and in in this league certainly who gets inconsistent decisions. Not only it's not it's not just dodgy decisions. It's just the inconsistency of the decisions that in the same fucking game are being given against us, and then we're not getting in our favour. It, it's just it, it baffles me, and I'm really starting to. As you say, we can't hide behind that for the poor performances of the last few weeks, but it, it certainly is not helping us. And it, it is leading to this climate of frustration. You can sense it in the players and you can sense the, the, you know, the incidents we've had in the last few weeks with players getting booked and sent off stupidly. It is not helping. And, and yes, our players have to keep their heads. But if I was on the pitch, I'm, I'm one of the calmest people you'll ever meet, but I would be losing my fucking mind at the referee. It's... It's week after week, inconsistency after inconsistency. And then when you watch our opponents, they get very soft decisions. And, and it, we are clearly being disadvantaged. And yes, yes, we'd all fall into that paranoia accusation. And, you know, yes, it's, it's normal to, to find some, some excuses. But hey, we, 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 can't, we can't just hide behind that. But it's, it's, it's doing my head in. I'm, I'm getting sick of it. Yeah, and, and we talk about isolated incidents, but it clearly has, and you can see visible impact on our players. The, the, the clearest example I can think of is Sanson. You can really see, after every decision, he's just looking to the sky and he just can't believe... Like, it's like, but, you can but see in his head, he's like, well. I can't do anything right. Whatever I do, it, it, I could even make the best tackle in the world. It will always be called against us. And at the end, you, you can tell that it, it, it translates into their performances, you know? Yeah, and it's the total... The total fuck over because of the timing of the decision which is you know Germain when I think we were we were 1-0 down or we were 1-1 at that point and, and that completely changes the game because five minutes later we concede and and the way these decisions come about and the time at which they come about in the game they're often during our strong points and that, that's often you can feel you know you can feel the sort of enthusiasm being drained out of the players because they just feel like they're getting screwed and, and they give up and then lapse of concentration leads to, to a goal for the other team or a dodgy decision for them very shortly afterwards. So it's, it's very frustrating. Yeah. What, what's, your, what's your take on, on these events, Steph? Like, have you got some, like, one particular incident in mind or have you got a bit of a, of a general rant like Ben did? Um, I mean, I think I agree that, and it's kind of always been like this as far as I can remember, that we do seem to always get... Well, we, 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 it does seem like we've always got referees that are against us in games. And um, but I, I, I mean, I re recognise how silly that sounds, you know, for for the non Marseille supporters, they listen to us and they, they'll think that we're just bad losers, you know. 
Um, but I mean, it's it's hard to be a Marseille fan and not feel that you're continually getting um, decisions going against you um, season after season. Um, and the introduction of the VAR doesn't seem to have helped at all. Um, if anything, it's got worse. Um, I mean, the, in t- terms of some of the individual decisions, and it's the same with the previous weeks, like um, some of them I'm like, yeah, okay, um, you know, that's the wrong decision. And others I'm like, you know, maybe we could have got it our way, maybe we couldn't. I'm not going to like lose too much sleep over them. Um, I think the one that stands out from yesterday's game obviously was the Friday's game sorry was the 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 two you know penalty shouts and the fact that one was called and one wasn't when they were very similar um and one was called the referee in both times was adamant split decision was absolutely certain that one was not a penalty and the other one was it's not like he called the VR he wasn't sure in both cases like you said they're exactly the same but he's sure it's black and white. This is a penalty. This is not. And you're like, how can you tell? But I think it's something to do with where he's standing, maybe where the referee's standing, and you, you know what angle he's got, what viewpoint he's got of the incident. Maybe that's all I can really think of. But yeah, I don't you know from a spectator's point of view, it doesn't look good. It looks inconsistent. Um, but you know, Ben, you said that you know all these little decisions count against us in the game. They frustrate the players. I agree, but at the end of the day, like whether or not these decisions are going against us, if we're good enough, we should still be winning. You know, like if you know if um, I don't know, say Barcelona were playing, you know, Valladolid or someone like Zaragoza or something, then these kind of decisions are going against them. You'd still expect them to win the games. It's a you bad, know, it's a bad we're just not, though, we're they, just not good enough. Because <laughs> always get the rest with them, so that's a bad example. I don't know, uh, um, but um, I agree though. I agree. It's, we've got to handle this. Ben. Sorry, I've lost you there. Yeah, I think um, we lost Ben. You muted yourself. Sorry, as yeah, sorry. I was just, I was just saying, we've got to handle this better. I agree with you, Steph. We've, we've got to handle this better mentally. Yeah, but I mean, the the narrative of of we should win in spite of referees is fine when it's a game there or two when you like. Well, you shouldn't be make abstraction of of the the faults because faults are human. Like they just they're human and there's like humanly mistakes. But when it's clearly ingrained in the supporters' minds and the players' mind at this point that the errors are not random they're systematic and they're targeted towards marseille players and Mar- the marseille team the, the players can't help but it will affect their performance because they'll they will always have the back of their mind that they're it's injustice and that even if they make a run that it will be offside that they could make the best tackle and it'll still be called against them and they could get two foot tackled like lihaji did and nothing's gonna happen like it you know that you, you get this sense that you're just demoralized it you know, they're, they're human well, as well, and they see the injustice, game in and game in and game in and game in, and you're like, what is the point of fighting when clearly it doesn't change anything? It doesn't help what, either what? when you've got um, decisions like um, suspensions and stuff post-game that seem to go against us as well, so like actually calculated decisions from the, you know, the the league, the French Football League to penalise our players or our club, you know, for example, or things that the fans do or anything like that, that seem to be stronger 
than what some of the other clubs seem to get or some of the other players seem to get. So all these, you know, that doesn't help either, doesn't it? It creates that picture that we are this club that's being oppressed, you know, yeah. that we are being discriminated against. And, you know, I mean, we could look much deeper than that and we could, we probably all might you know, have um, explain, an explanation about why we think that might be, you know, in this, you know, wider sense of, France and French culture and attitudes and stuff like that, but at the end of the day, we're still not good enough. So yeah. you know, I don't want to hide behind it too much. You know, it's I agree. And, and if if this can be the closing statement, maybe it's what what the fuck can we do about it anyway? We can't do anything about it. Um, you know, we know that Lyon have been advantage, and whether it's clear or not, whatever, we all know who's running the league. It's an ex-Lyon employee and, and all this stuff that you could get very paranoid about, which doesn't add up in, indeed. But at the end of the day, you know, I think I think I would I would I, I remember moaning about this. I think I mentioned a few weeks ago, why doesn't it all, you know, step up and say something or whatever? Well turns out he actually tried to last was it last week or the or after the Against um, Montpellier. Against Montpellier and no one knows what happened and whatever, but he apparently tried to step foot in the referee's dressing room and got a four-game ban from the stadium. So it's, it, it's clear that we can't do anything about this. So all we can focus on is, is probably what we're going to discuss next, is what we do on the pitch when these decisions aren't, are going against it, etc. How, how we play around that and how we make the most of, of a game of football, how we try and win games despite the referee. Yeah, I, I'm going to... just I'll hide, For those who didn't follow what Stefan said about um, the, the suspension... Just for those who, who didn't follow up on the news, Marseille, so Kamara had a three two-game suspension plus one because of accumulations of yellow cards. The, after the second game, Marseille applied for and appealed to an, an independent body of football to get the third game removed, um, to which they agreed. They said, the, the, the independent body said that, yeah, he should be able to play for the third game. They sent the evidence to the, to the league and the league refused. They just decided that in spite of the evidence, in spite of the support of this independent body, they will just continue the suspension. And added to what Ben said with, with the fact that Error has been suspended for, for trying to talk to the referees after the game, which is something that Olas does every game for nothing and gets nothing out of it, it does point to the direction that there is an institutional, or at least, at least puts the seed in everyone's mind, that there's an institutional... Um, difference made in terms of where Marseille comes from at all levels. If if yeah. the players say something, they will get penalised and punished. If the manager says something, he will get penalised and fined. If the if the president, the chairman, tries to make like he tries to influence or tries to talk to the referees after the game, then that will be penalised. And if the club as an entity tries to do something and appeals, they will also be penalised. And you're like, like you said, Ben. I was going to ask you, what do you think is the next step to do? There's clearly, we've tried everything in low dose. Maybe we could try to, to do a bit more on the front of like interviews and political pressures. But we've tried everything like as a sample size and nothing has worked. So it's... But it's quite, it's quite clear that trying to do that will, will just attract more scrutiny. So it's a losing battle. We're fighting a losing battle. It's like if you're at work and you've got a, you know, you've got a, you're sort of, manager is against you and they'll screw you whatever happens or whatever but you know you can adapt to that and you can sort of play the system a tiny bit and you can you can do whatever is in your control to get around those little things 
that's all we can do because we know that we're up against it and anything we try to do to fight this will blow up in our faces, attract even more scrutiny and we'll just end up getting screwed even more. So there's yeah. nothing to do apart from improve on the pitch, which is clearly something we, we will discuss and we need to do and also just fucking get on with it and players need to keep their heads, even though it's frustrating, they just need to, to, to just go, fuck it, we expected that anyway, let's just crack on. I agree. Um, this isn't new stuff, you know, because this has been going on for as, as decades, I think, as long as I can remember. I mean, since I was a kid, growing up, this is how, you know, when I talk to my dad about when we followed Marseille, this is exactly how he's always said it was. It was it's never been any different, as long as I can remember. Um, and it, has maybe, in, it has intensified recently, but I agree with you. Maybe, maybe we can't beat the establishment, you know. But maybe what we need to do, as you said, Ben, is we just need to become good. We need to, we need to beat the, you know, our opposition on the pitch, and maybe the French football establishment might fall in love with us again, you know, or if they ever did, if they, if they see us as something that's beneficial for French football rather than this, you know, club with a bad, you know, a tarnished image, you know, of this kind of mm. um, sort of controversial um, period of success, you know, that people are ashamed about. Um, so maybe if we become so good in the same way that PSG have, then and the money that we bring in, are able to bring in to French football, um and the uh, global recognition again, maybe that's the only way we can sort of um, defeat this. Yeah. So it's becoming too good for everyone else. I'll I'll give I'll give the closing statement on the refereeing issue, and then we'll just delve delve into line by line. I personally think that that us being better is not a solution because we saw the Bielsa season, we were top of the of the league. We were basically sending we were advertising French football so well because we had videos all around the world of of Bielsa football and how beautiful Bielsa plays and stuff. And I think that's probably the only seasons where we're getting shafted more than this season. So mm-hmm. I think it doesn't matter when we're good, we're still getting we're still getting done for. I think the, the, the best way to combat this, because I don't think we can just give up and to just basically deal with it, is to use the method that impacts us the least sportively. So I think you, we should we should prevent player our players from actually making rash in-game decisions because that will affect the, the game itself. I think I, I don't give a fuck whether if if error is banned four games. I think when he comes back, he should put more pressure. I think it's it put out interviews, um, go to the referees and stuff. It because that will that will get us fines. That will get us whatever him suspended, but it won't affect us point wise. It would. I think this if he consistently adds pressure to the referees and in instances. Outside the pitch, he might get suspended, he might get fines, but I mean, we don't really give a fuck about that. But that might have a long term effect, impact on how referees approach Marseille games. They'll be more scared of fucking us around because they'll know the error will just be breathing down the neck and, and, and will not let anything go. And I think that's the only way to go. Olas has done it, Olas is clearly doing it, it's been normalized. And I think Ero, if he sustains, sustainably does that, could be like him. Iroh isn't, isn't the one to do it, let's face it. Until we get a stronger, stronger president in that knows football, that has a few maybe connections and a little tiny bit of influence, maybe then he can weigh in a little bit and we can get a bit more respect. But Iroh clearly is not the man for this. I mean, let's face it, who knows if he'll still be around in the next few months. So yeah. Okay. That's, that, that, you're right on the solution, but you're wrong, you're wrong about the personnel. Yeah, okay. 
So, let's move on to the players. Um, so first we move on to the goalkeeper. Normally we don't spend that much time talking about Mandanda because he's, he's usually just the best player on the pitch. Um, today was no different. Um, I feel like even though he conceded three goals, he was one of the leading men and, and was just basically receiving one-on-ones all, all day long. I mean, there was a three goals, but there was also the, the crossbar. It was a one-on-one -on -one, and also a couple of saves that he made one-on-one. -on -one. He, he was basically stranded on an island just being shot at. Um, what did you guys, Stefan? What what did you think about Mandanda's performance? Were you, would you think he warrants this this his spot in the French team? I thought he did pretty well actually. To be honest, I mean I think um, he had to come off his line quite a few times because his defence were just leaving just gaping holes and getting caught out in the counter attack constantly, and he he was actually a lot quicker than he's been previ the previous season. Yeah, I think he you know, he did as well as he could do in that game. It's disappointing that he had to concede three goals, but I think that he he wasn't protected at all by his defence. So yeah, I think in in current form, yeah, yeah, he does appear to be the best French goalkeeper. But I mean I don't know if I would jump to say that he should be Francis starting goalkeeper though, you know. Well Loris is, is injured and he, uh, apparently he's not as serious as it seems but he's going to be out for quite a while probably a few months um, yeah. so yeah I think I think we have there is every chance that Mondelbert will start the, the couple of games for France next week and but, who knows um, in what shape Loris will come back in maybe Mandanda will be starting for the Euros well let's face it you know, Loris yeah. despite the injury he's been on pretty poor form recently he's, uh, he's made a few howlers and, and he made another one on, on Saturday before he got injured so I will never get happy about someone getting injured because it's it's, it's just incorrect. I don't agree with that mentality, but it gives Mondelbert a chance. And, and to be fair, if, if it can lift him even higher in, in his performances and his mental state, that he's going to be number one for France again. I'd rather he, he keeps focusing on him and, and he has that on the, on the front of his mind and gives that the priority. But I think it could lift him because he, he seems to be on, on that ascendant sort of frame of mind recently so yeah and, and to, with regards to his performance again agree with everything you said Steph he, he did what he could he saved us we could have conceded more um, he's he's back to being the, the usual Mondanda that we, we expected and, and I think he's proving us all that last season was just a blip yeah I agree but the reason why Mandanda is being, being so highly spoken of in the last few games is because of the massive gaps being um, exposed in our back line. If if you guys want to kind of try to analyse how our back line did, so we had, we did have a change for once. Um, I thought last week, and I highlighted it in my takeaway, that Amavi wasn't a problem necessarily. He was just part of a system that was that was faulty. Yesterday or on Friday, we played Sakai on the left back, Chaitetsar, Perrin, and then Saar at the right back position. What did what Stefan? What did you think about? So first of all, the change from Amavi and and how it panned out. Mm, see, I don't know if I entirely agree with that because I I personally think the personnel isn't good enough. Um, so I think Sakai um, is a bit generally a bit more solid than Amavi defensively, but and he certainly plays with his heart out. But he was getting caught out a lot as well. So you can, yeah. I mean, you're right that there's something bigger than just blaming one player. Um, I think that actually, I think Sakai doesn't offer the same going forward as Amavi. I know he does get forward as much as possible, and he was putting in a good shift in the other half of the pitch. But I think that there's something about the way that Amavi bombs forward with his pace that even if 
you know, a lot of his balls and stuff don't really like, you know, come to lead to anything. Um, he's still creating space. Yeah, and this, this space the threat of in him the opposition. So I think Amavi does bring something in an attacking sense that we don't always appreciate. Um, yeah. I think that. So yeah, I think I think Sakai like you know wasn't there's definitely flaws in his performance. Um, I think that Peran and Chaleta Saar are a bit all over the place, to be honest. Like just getting leaving big gaps constantly, getting caught out. We were playing way too high because we were chasing the game. Um, I don't like Bunasar. I've always said this on the podcast. I think I just think he's not good enough. Again, he, he bombs forward, got lots of pace, but I don't really see like anything he does really leading too much. And I think defensively he's not strong enough. So yeah, I just think the the back four just you know all over the place. You know, just no no cool head there, no organisation as such. You know, just but just playing a bit in panic mode. You know, like everyone's pushing forward, trying to get. You know, get 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 the goal, get back into the game, but they're not really like managing themselves as a back four very well. They're not um, they're not communicating well. They should know where each other is going to be. If someone pushes forward, they should know who's going to be covering what areas. And you don't really see that. You could and you could see that um, Amian um, were just picking them apart. Like Kakuta was just picking through passes. I mean, it was really, it was really nice to watch. Actually, if I if I wasn't a Marseille fan, I, I think from a neutral perspective, watching Kakuta, the way he was just linking up with um, um, Girasi, yeah, Girasi, um, it was just really nice to watch. I mean, it's partly because um, Kakuta is, you know, a very talented player, but um, it's also because our defence was shit. So, um, so yeah, we were just um, getting made to look foolish for large parts of the game especially in the second half I felt yeah Ben I'll, I'll give you the closing statement on the on the, the defenders I'll just bounce off of what you said Steph because I think you like nailed it on the head it's because of the, 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 the how the match turned out how we were chasing the game basically the entire game um, and we, I mean we could have could have led with, with if we got the penalty and I mean didn't but the, because we were leading the whole game we were playing such a high line and Pera and Chaitatsa, I mean, say what you want about the players, I like them, but they they're clearly not adapted to be to play so high, and they were just chase like they were just basically getting just Kakuta was just throwing bombs, just throwing bombs behind them, and and Pera and Chaitatsa just couldn't chase and couldn't catch up, and Saar did not adapt, Vilas Boas did not adapt to to the kind of uh, of threat that Amiens was 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 offering, and we just basically just lasted, we spent the whole game not adjusting to this issue. And just basically praying the Mandanda stops every one on ones, and obviously that cannot happen. Well, that can't. That can only happen for a few minutes. Um, so it's. I'm not sure if it's a players issue. I still like Pera. I still like Chetatar. I still like Sakai as a left back instead of Amavi. Even though I agree, I think Amavi off- offers attacking solutions that are, are are great. Even though he's not, he's clumsy, but he does offer the threat. Um, and and Sai is just not good enough. He spends his whole game as a winger. But he offers no real solutions as a winger. His crosses are, are god shit, and he can't actually uh, uh, pair up with, with. He doesn't link up with Lopez or Jamal well enough. So it, it he was, was shit when he was a winger for us. Yeah, he, yeah, he was, he was. Ben, what did you think? What did you think about any of the players in the back four? 
Um, I, I agree with your assessment of Saran Sakai. You know, Saar, I'd prefer him at left back, uh, right back, sorry, than, than at right winger, but it's, it's clearly not good enough to aim for, for more than top five in this league at best, and that's when he's on form. Um, I'll break it down to three things, three very quick points. Personnel, we've got two 20, barely 20-year-old defenders. They've played three games together. We were always going to get found out against a team that has space and had pace away from home with that back line, and that's down to Gonzalez being injured, Kamara getting, getting suspended. It was going to happen. I'll never bash two youngsters, especially one of our academy products that has come in has been, if we take his performances over the last three weeks, he's been he's been above average, but no, he's not great, but he's been above average, and he's putting in a shift. I don't expect more from him. Or Chaleta Carr, who, again, they've never played together, so they were they were always going to be, they were always going to struggle at some point playing together in this run of games. Um, second point, systemic, and that's down to the coach. You know that Streetman's suspended, you don't. You need to either adapt that system and give them, offer them better protection, especially away from home, or you need to um, take a bit of a gamble and maybe go five at the back to just add that coverage and, and shift someone from from somewhere into that defence, or or pack the midfield a bit more. So that's AVB's fault, and I think he realised that after the game. And then thirdly, um, I think we've all been bashing him, but and, and this probably leads into the midfield topic, but. I think we'll we'll miss Streetman. I think we miss Streetman because he does clean up sometimes in front of the area. He does get a few balls back and he's always good at I think he's one of his biggest strengths for us is, is at reading that second ball when we when we have a clearance and he always seems to, to get in front of the attacking midfielder. And one of the main reasons Kakuta ran riot is because the defence had no fucking protection from the midfield. Yeah. Well let, let's talk about the midfield. So we played with Three in the midfield, I, I'm, you know, we did kind of change system throughout the game. It was kind of fluid, but at least on, on, on the paper, we had three midfielders. So we had the two usual suspects being Lopez and Sanson. We can talk about them. And like you highlighted, Ben, the main change, when I was looking forward to it, was Trutman being suspended and Rongier being put in as a CDM. Now, statistically, Rongier had a good game as CDM because he's the player that tackled and, and, and got the ball back um, the most out of the whole the, the the whole 22 players on the field but statistics and real game are big I've got big differences like you said Kakuta was just running riot he was basically running circles around the whole team doing whatever he wanted and no adjustments were made by either the coach or the players and Rangier naturally is the one that should have been at least man marking Kakuta so we'll probably be looking at him first Ben, if you if you can just go back to to your nice the CDM, what did you think about Rangier? It, it's not his position, and, and sadly, I, well, I don't think it's Streetman. Certainly not by himself. Maybe with someone alongside him, but it's we, we don't have an actual CDM in the squad since Gustavo left, um, and it's it is just the way it is, and we've we've got to work around that. And the way to work around that is to play two deep midfielders alongside, and then one in front of them whether that's Lopez or Payet drops down and plays as that number 10 in front of the two holding midfielders, that is the that is the solution for me because clearly the personnel we have now is not adapted to play this system, especially with Streetman missing. And he's, even when he isn't missing, he does struggle, but I think he's, he's a bit, he's got that experience to bridge that gap a tiny bit. So again, yeah, as you say, Rangier statistically, great game, but 
in, in the moments that mattered, i.e. the goals and, and the, the probably, I think, one of the one-on-ones that Mondaldo conceded, he was nowhere to be seen. He was completely, he looked lost, which, again, he's just joined the team, so I'm not going to bash him, but it's, that is, at some point, it's down to, as you said, the manager to fix that and the players to communicate between themselves. And they, it, they, it, it just wasn't working. We, we got completely eaten alive in midfield the whole game. And mainly, physically, you know, we, we lack physicality in that midfield. Our players are too light. Yeah. Stefan, I'll, I'll, I'll give the voice to you now. Do you, can, do you want to bounce off what Ben said? Or do you want to talk about... The, the the partnership of of Sanson and Lopez who I I I mean a Sanson who was seemed very frustrated the whole game and Lopez who seemed lost in a scheme that was basically just being that was just skipping the midfield the whole game whether it's defensively or it's offensively Lopez kind of seemed lost what what, what did you make out of, of of either of those players? Uh, yeah, I mean uh, I guess I agree. The, Sanson looked quite frustrated. He always gives his, you know, plays with his heart, doesn't he? He always looks like he's giving it a hundred percent, but he doesn't always pull everything off very well. Um, Lopez, to be honest, I didn't really remember much of him from the game. I kind of felt like he wasn't that effective. Um, I don't think the two of them play ever play very well together. Um, says it all I've, really if you can't remember him that says it yeah, all <laughs> I think they've always kind of I've, I've thought that for a while like you know if they're both on the pitch they don't seem to do very well and then one of them plays well the other one doesn't you know they, I never I can never remember a game where they've both played well um, I agree with everything Ben said actually about the midfield um, we didn't buy a defensive midfielder to replace Gustavo that was stupid we bought another deep-lying playmaker, which is, I mean, he looks like a great player, to be honest. I, I really like what I see of him, but it's not really what we needed. Um, well, we still, maybe, we've still got a, a big gap in the squad. Um, I, I agree, like, as well, I've said this before, haven't I, that I just think physically we're just not good enough. We need someone with muscle in the midfield. We really lack someone with athleticism. It, it really sees. We can really see it in set pieces <laughs> when you try and see yeah. who's going to mark who, and then we've got Tratasar, and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, there was a problem all last season, and it wasn't addressed this summer. Um, I mean, Gustavo, last from last season's squad, was the midfielder that had the the greatest physical qualities, and he's gone, and we replaced him with a little guy, you know. So um, and even last season we were lacking since we lost Zambo and Guisa. So yeah, I mean we we need some muscle in midfield, like and so, someone with a bit of pace and power, you know, who can sit in that role, you know, in front of the, the defenders. And I know Strutman can do that, but he just doesn't have the physical, you know, the athletic sort yeah. of. And I don't think that we need. I don't think there's a lot of hope with the youth academy either, because the the, the most promising play is Flipono. But yeah. he's he's quite uh quite a quite a smaller player with more technique than yeah. than actual athleticism. Yeah, and, are we desperate yeah, enough to ADB's, play Sertic? Well, no, but a, a, well, Sertic is clearly huh? being marginalised. I think he's training with the reserves. He's apart from the first team squad. But even Filippo, no, I think AVB came out uh, either yesterday or before the game and said, "Look, he's he's a great player. He's making a lot of progress, but." 
they, they, you know, there's, there's just too much competition in that position for his profile. And he has the exact same profile as a, well, maybe a bit more defensive minded, but he's, he's the same physical profile as a Rongier or a Lopez. Mm. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So I think, I think we can really, basically, we've highlighted the, the, the deficiencies that we've seen in yesterday's games in our midfield. Where Lopez was basically nowhere to be seen. And I think it's, it's not solely due to him. It's also because of how the game turned out where we, we skipped the midfield a lot and he didn't have the chance to to play higher the pitch and, and, and combine with our, our defenders or strikers very well. Um and, and credit to credit to Amiens who have, have physical midfielders and who really brought the game to us and they put them under pressure and they didn't let anybody have a second on the ball. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Um but let's move on to the strikers. So we've got a front three was Radonic, Benedetto and Germa with Tell me if I'm wrong. We had Lihaji coming off the bench. We had Kawi coming off the bench as well. Um, who was the third player coming off the bench? Oh, can't remember. Oh, well, anyway, so we can at least talk about these five players. Um, so we got Radonich, Benedetto, Germa, Lihaji, and Kawi. Steph, what what did you think about those players? I I personally think before you go, I'm. Dude, please don't shoot me for this, but I'm actually quite impressed by Radonich. I was expecting him to, to be like the same usual, but in the second half, I, I, I think he was having like an out-of-body experience. All of the decisions he was making was, was good. He was shooting well. He was <laughs> buying well. Like, I don't know. What did you guys think about it? Um, firstly, we didn't make a third substitution, I believe. I think we only brought in Kawi and Lahaji. So um, let me check this. That's what that was why. Um, that explains it. Radonich had a better game probably than he normally does. Um, he looked lively, but I still don't think he's good enough. Um, I think you were talking about it maybe in last week's podcast, or the one before. Luca, you said that you were done with him and stuff, and I, I completely agree. I'm you still know, done just, with him. I'm still done with yeah. him. I'm not going to change my opinion of him if he, you know, when he has a good game or a good 10 minutes. Um, I mean, he had a good effort, but he nearly scored, maybe. Maybe he nearly scored. The keeper was kind of never really, you know, in, in that much trouble. But, um, yeah, I don't like him. I he's I sell him definitely somewhere January if we can get rid of him. We're gonna to have to take a massive loss on him. He's not good enough. Who wants him? Who just, wants him? Exactly. Just sell him, even if it's for peanuts. It's a waste. We're fucked up. We're not gonna get that money back. Just get rid of him. See, and if we oh, can guess, bring. Guess who? Yeah. Guess who his agent was? The same as as Garcia's, but anyway. No, yeah, no, no. Radonich. Radonich had uh, Serbian Serbian ones. It wasn't Garcia's. Yeah, but I think no. I think it, there was a, there was a huge pressure of Garcia's agent to. To sign him, I think that was that something happened at that point. If you read about it, something did happen on that front because he coached him at Roma, and there was some dodgy story. Read up, read up about it. Yeah. Okay. Fine. What Ben? What What did you think about the other um, about Benedetto, who scored a lovely, lovely goal, and he's now our he's now basically scored half of our goals of the whole season from a very he, poor, poor he has. ten goals in eight games. But what did you think about Jama and Benedetto? Well, just on Adonich, again, just to conclude, I think that even if he gets to 
and he reaches some sort of potential, he will never be as good as, as an impact centre as he can't start games and be consistent for 90 minutes, that's clear. Um, on, on the other two, Benedetto, I think he tried it a few times last week. He, he, you know, he took possession of the balls, he tried a couple of shots, he didn't score. We, I think we, we commented on that and got a bit frustrated, but we also said, hey, we'd rather have a striker that takes chances and that has a pair of balls than one of them that just drifts in and out of games. His goal was, was amazing. I think that's probably my favourite goal that he scored for us because he created that all by himself from nothing. A beautiful shot. We know he's, he's a very good shooter of the ball. He strikes it clean. Got a very good goal. Maybe, well, and, and, and also the moment when we weren't creating chances, it came out of nowhere. And you sort of think, in a game like that, away from home where you're struggling, that could, that could easily be the click that, that the team needs to click into place and go, fuck, right, we're still in this. We scored a goal out of nowhere. Let's step it up a bit. And we didn't. And he and then after that, for the rest of the game, he struggled because lack of service and, and isolation. And it's the same story as the last few weeks where he runs he runs his socks off, he gets himself all over the pitch a bit more effectively than Jamar, who does the same, but Benedetto has, has better technical and, and athletic qualities. But it, he can't do it all by himself. So that's that's the analysis on him. Jamar He's becoming more and more anonymous in, in, in that position on the right side of the pitch. But I also think that that's down to lack of service and lack of, uh, lack of how do you say in English, repair, um, lack of, of sort of habit of playing in that position and lack of, of experience of that position. And he, he, he has that tendency, which is good. He has that tendency to get close to the central striker and drift in a bit much. But we lose a hell of a lot of width when that happens. And we, that, was, that was clearly noticeable in, the, in Friday's game. Yeah, Stefan it, it, Stefan, it does seem inevitable that if we want to see the best out of Benedetto and if we want to see the best out of Jama, it, it goes through having two strikers. Maybe, yeah. Um, at least at the moment, well, Tovan's out injured, yeah. Um, maybe we should be playing a diamond, you know, with Payet in the number 10 and German and um, Benedetto up front. Because we've got, if we played a Mavi and dare I say it, Saar, or even Sakai um, at right back. The two full-backs bomb forward enough anyway to play that kind of system, you know? Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think that that probably would make sense for now. And then when Tolvan comes back, you know, we, I think we would have to go back to the 4-3-3. But seeing that Tolvan's coming back from a long layoff, you, we might not see, yeah, might the, see the best, the best of him for a while. Yeah, exactly. So this season might be a bit of a write-off for him anyway. Um, yeah, the only thing I just wanted to add to that is that I kind of feel sorry for Benedetto. He left Boca Juniors for this shite, you know, a club where they win most of their games and it's it's pretty awesome club to play for. Marseille could be like that if we weren't so shit most of the time, which we unfortunately are. So, yeah, yeah I kind of feel sorry for him. He's kind of gone from a winning environment to a, a drawing environment yeah. um, at the moment, so... I'll go back to you, actually, Stefan, just well, very, very quickly. Case, but... Very quickly, I'll go back to you. Uh, so we saw Lihaji yet again. Um, tell me what, what, what is going wrong at the moment for him. Is it because he's simply too young or is it just like uh, he's... Is he not being put in the right conditions? Is he too young or is he just overhyped? I don't think anything's gone wrong with him. I mean... Anyone been put into that game on Friday? I, I I can't expect miracles. You know, a seventeen, eighteen year old kid comes on for twelve minutes. You know what I mean? Like in a game where we're getting tanked, I, I don't 
think. No, I wouldn't look too much into it. I don't know if it's the right game to bring him on, to be honest. Um, well, it seemed a bit of desperation, didn't it? Yeah, I guess he's got nowhere else. But yeah, I think games like that are not maybe not the best to bring on a young kid like that because our heads are down. We need... Um, I don't know if it's good for his self, you know, his um, self-confidence to come into a game like that and then come off the game, you know, battered. Um, so now maybe from Villas-Boas's perspective, maybe he should he should think about maybe a bit more carefully about when he brings him in. But we don't have any other players really, do we? I guess he could have brought in Chabrol, who's a little bit older, a bit more experienced. Um, he brought in Kawi. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. But, very good. We, we, we just, I think, I read it somewhere else today or yesterday. Someone was saying, um, we just the squad's too thin. You know, we just don't have the depth in squad this season. So, um, yeah, yeah I'll see you Very well. So, um, we'll just move on to your guys' takeaways. So, as you all know, it's just thirty seconds ish to to speak out just one kind of snippets of what you took away from this game and. And maybe kind of your expectations from from this season, Ben. What what what's your takeaway from the Amiens game? Uh, the, the same as the last few weeks. Uh, the quicker AVB realizes that that system is not adapted to our personnel, whether it's in midfield or up front, the better. Uh, it doesn't mean that there is a miracle fix all system, but it does mean that this one isn't working. And then, again, we've. The main takeaway is, I think when we commented on this run of games a few weeks ago saying what we expected from it, I think I said I expected six points out of the four games or seven points out of the four games with maybe one defeat and one draw and two wins and we've got three draws and one win and one defeat. And it's it doesn't matter who's missing, it doesn't matter what's gone wrong in the refereeing, it's not good enough when you look at the teams we've been playing, especially with the run of games we've got coming up. Mm-hmm. All right, Stefan? Um, I think it's that the squad is not deep enough and that we need to recruit. <laughs> you make the that. shortest shortest takeaways ever, man. All right. Um, I think we need to win Euro Millions then, mate. Someone yeah. needs to win Euro Millions. Well, I, I mean... Th- they're going to find the money. Well, that's what we were, all, we were all sold three years ago, wasn't it? That we had this new project that was going to invest lots of money and I mean it's all gone crap yeah right? we're, su- we're supposed to have won your million already yeah so uh, I mean yeah but we, we we did invest some of the money it's just been invested quite poorly and, yeah. and we are paying this season for the last two seasons of mismanagement of those summer transfer windows we've yeah. wasted 30 million on players like Strootman and exactly we don't have to spend 30 million on a defensive midfielder. We could have spent 14 million on that, you know, guy we're always talking about that went off to Germany as he did. Exactly. So we just need to spend. We just need to spend money sensibly, you know. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I agree. Um, fine. And then my takeaway is it will, it will kind of link and contrast to what you guys both said. My takeaway is that after se- we've got relatively large sample size now with eight games going into the season. My takeaway is that seeing how AVB is behaving and playing and how a squad is playing, I think that the team that you've seen these past eight games, regardless of the players that are out, this is the team that you're going to see for the rest of the season. We're probably going to win more games with Payet and Tova and Alvar Gonzalez and Streetman just because of some individual brilliant moments they get where they shoot from 30 yards and score. But... 
in terms of how the games are going to turn out, um, how easy we're going to win games, I think this is what it's going to look like for the rest. It's going to look like Mandanda just getting basically sh shot at blank point, um, our defence being very, very sloppy, and just basically hoping and praying that Tovan or Payet just wake up on a good day and, and carry the team. And it's it, I find it really sad because we, we, we've spent over 300 million at this stage uh, with this new project and this all we have to show for it is begging players who were already there before the project started to carry us to the promised land. So I, I think Villas-Boas will probably spend this year and have we'll, we'll have a lot of excuses for him. But... My patience is already worn out, and I think a lot of of, of supporters inevitably are going to 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 lose patience with with Vinas Boas and his squad. Um, fine. So um, after these takeaways are done, so we're looking at an international break, where I think Mandanda Sakai uh, have been selected, but and probably maybe some of the youngsters have been are going to be playing with the 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 under twenty ones for France and maybe Radonic for Serbia. And after that, we're playing Strasbourg. Ben, what, what, are you, what are you hoping about Strasbourg at home? Are, are you seeing a bit of a jolt with the international break or more of the same? Well, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what to expect. I mean, on, on a, I wouldn't say an optimistic side, but if you, again, look at the numbers, uh, I, think they're, I think they're the only league team who's failed to score away from home so far this season so I, I take a bit of encouragement from that because it, I think it goes to say a lot about what their intentions will be when they come to players at home but at the same time if we if we don't capitalise on maybe them um, being very cautious and, and setting up at the back probably a bit more than, than Montpellier did in terms of not as effectively but, but they will certainly pack their, their last five, 30 yards and they won't have as much effectiveness on the break as Montpellier did because they don't have the same players. Uh, yeah, if we that will probably be a game where we will scrape a 1-0 win if we're lucky or it will be another 0-0 draw. Mm. Well, but, what about you, Stefan? Uh, so looking past the Strasbourg game, we're, we're, we've already mentioned that it's going to be quite a rough round of games. Are you seeing the Marseille basically being in crisis mode at the end of October or... Or are you hope like are you seeing this team, this squad, kind of pulling together and giving a few results? I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say when you get an international break how you're going to come back after it. Um, I I mean, I expect us to get beat off Paris Saint Germain. I mean, that's a given in it. And um, who else have we got? We've got Lille Lyon at home, Lyon at home, Lille at home, and Monaco yeah. away. Well, Lyon are a bit of a mess. But they'll probably beat us, <laughs> just yeah. because you know if we're both a mess going into it. But um, they always do. They just always beat us. Yeah. So we'll see. I don't know. I'm. I'm just trying not to think about that period just now and just think one game at a time. <laughs> I'd be. I'd be a lot more optimistic about that run of games if if Gonzalez's injury wasn't as serious as it is and he came back from the Strasbourg game and got not got ninety or, or forty five minutes under his belt and if Payet mm. was also not suspended for as long as he is. But but the fact is they both are gonna be missing they're both gonna come back in the team only for the PSG game. And I think that we'll get found out in that game for those reasons because they'll both be short of match fitness and sharpness and it's just the way it is, you know. It's unfortunate the way it's turned out with suspensions and injuries, but at the same time, because the squad is so thin, we have no cover. Yeah. 
Well, brilliant. Thank you very much, guys. So that's it for this episode. So we'll take a break from the podcast for two weeks and be back with you after the Strasbourg game to hopefully Marseille uh, bringing back a victory for the first time in five games. Um, guys, got any last words before we finish off the podcast? Nope. <laughs> I think that has a no. <laughs> Not really, no. I mean, it's you know, it's hard to come. It's, it's hard to come up with anything positive after four games without a win, especially when you see the teams we've played. And it's, it, 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 yeah, it, it could be a very difficult October for us, which it, it frankly it usually has been for the last couple of, of seasons. So yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I think like the two things talking about earlier on in the group are some things to look forward to. You know, in terms of like youth players. Uh, you know, like so, um, there's yeah. So supposedly we're opening up like a youth training like school in Algeria. Yeah, yeah, that's and, true. And, and then there's um, so we did something in Tunisia similarly as well recently. And then there's been I think the keep we're talking about a potential partnership with um, TP Mazembe, like a Congolese club. Um, it's quite a big club in Africa actually. Um, who in recent years, I, I'm trying to think what players I came from them. I think um, there's definitely one or two good I think they've won, um, they've won, they've certainly won or done very well in the African Champions League. Yeah, they won the Champions League, didn't they, one year, didn't they? And had that goalkeeper as well that did the funny celebration. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, so they are a big club in Africa. And I think um, the, um, yeah, I just, I just think it's good for us to be branching out into Africa, not just because of, um, you know, bringing through young players, but also about marketing. You know, um, I think we need to have strong links in that continent, but especially you know, as given there's so many French-speaking countries in Africa, and um, I think lots of people from, well, a lot lots of French-speaking African countries at a certain time would have would would have grown up. You know, like watching a club like Marseille and stuff. And nowadays, that's not the case. You know, clubs like Chelsea, Arsenal, not much more popular in Africa because of well, the Premiership and also the lot of African players that have been playing in the Premiership. So yeah, I think it's a market as well that we need to go back to. And the more um, players that we've got coming through, you know, quality players coming through that from you know countries like Congo and stuff like that is is good for us, not only on the pitch but on a, on a wider level. So yeah. So. Yeah, I, I, I wholeheartedly good, good agree. Good to have a positive. Good to have a bit of positive. Yeah. <laughs> it's not to confirm it anyway. I think it's just what they're talking about it. So. Yeah. Right, brilliant. Um, so thank you very much, guys. So we'll catch you in two weeks. And uh, yeah, take care between then. All right. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Thanks, everyone. Yeah. Bye Cheers, bye. Cheers, bye-bye.